There's only one nation, Raider Nation. You're listening to Silver and Black tonight on the Mightier 1090. It's Friday night. That means it's time for Southern California's only all Raiders talk show. That's right. This is Silver and Black tonight on your source for local sports in Southern California, the Mightier 1090. Scott Branson, Mo Moten are with you in a week that saw Raider Nation go from hell back to heaven as the three-game losing streak comes to an end on Thanksgiving of all times in Dallas as the Raiders beat the Cowboys 36-33 to after losing on Sunday. So all with a period of four days, the Raider fan, Raider Nation goes from they hate the team, they'll never do anything, and you might as well just disband the franchise, to now everybody's out there picking fights about Derek Carr and how this team is amazing. Mo Moten, it was an incredible swing. It was an incredibly long game, uh, exciting end there. Maybe it could have ended sooner. The NFL officiating, I was old man screaming at the sky. It was awful, uh, but it worked in the Raiders' favor. Yeah, it took me 24 hours to kind of calm down from the results of Thursday's <laughs> game, but uh, you're absolutely right. You hit the nail on the head right there. I, I didn't like a lot of the officiating calls, I get that some of those calls were in the Raiders' favor, some of them against the against the Raiders. But I thought sometimes it was very ticky-tack. Um, Tony Romo during the broadcast pointed out the Andre James penalty where he moved his head, and he and Tony Romo basically said that happens basically on every play. And the rest called it should have been all sides on the Cowboys. Right. But, uh, you know, at the end of the day, the Raiders come out with a win. And as you said, it, it went from the sky is falling to the sky is the limit for the Raiders within the span of, of a few days because, as you know, the Raiders had a short week coming off a Sunday loss to the Bengals, and then they had to turn around and play the Cowboys on Thanksgiving. So uh, you know how Twitter is. It, it's very extreme. I said it's the, <laughs> it's, the, it's the land of extreme opinions. The Raiders are either trash and need to just tear down everything or or they're still in this and they have a shot to go to the playoffs and actually win the Super Bowl, depending on who you ask. Yeah, this is this is very true. But let's, let's recap a little bit. I mean, you look at this bounce-back performance from Derek Carr. He goes 24 of 39 for 373 and the one touchdown. Josh Jacobs, who I still believe doesn't have the burst he used to have, but he started racking up some yards late in the game. He carries 22 times for 87 yards, including a touchdown. Hunter Renfro, the GOAT, eight catches, 134 yards. And then most importantly, not to, to, to uh, belittle the fact that Hunter Renfro had 134 yards, Mo, but Deshaun Jackson, the guy we've been talking about, the guy who basically has replaced Henry Ruggs as the deep threat, the guy who's going to push the defenses over the top. He goes three catches, 102 yards, and a touchdown, including two massive pass interference penalties against the Cowboys on on two shots down the field. Deshaun Jackson now finally is becoming what you thought and you wrote about he could be for this Raiders team looking for that deep threat. Yeah, before I go into Deshaun Jackson, I just want to put something to bed, and I tweeted this after yesterday's game, is Let's now put the theory that the Raiders can't move the ball without Henry Ruggs to bed. Because now you have Deshaun Jackson. He, you know, he's got he has his targets. As you said, he drew some uh PI calls, had had a touchdown, uh 102 yards, three catches. I mean, that's basically what Henry Ruggs was when he was with the team. I I, I tweeted this too that Henry Ruggs, even when the Raiders offense was humming, Ruggs was only getting three to four catches a game. 
if mm-hmm. Deshaun Jackson can give you that, he's the perfect replacement for what Henry Ruggs did for that offense, and you saw it on Thursday. So, again, let's just put that – let's just turn the page on that. Henry Ruggs is not coming back. We all know that, and the Raiders can still move the ball with what they have. Now, it was even more impressive that they were able to do it without Darren Waller for the yes. majority of that game. Yes, and that's what I was going to bring up, Mo, now, because lost sort of in the elation of the last uh, last few minutes of overtime where Danny Carlson hit the field goal to win it was the fact that they lost Darren Waller in the first half to what has been described as a deep uh, bone bruise on his knee. Uh, and so we don't know what he'll be now. He's got an extra long. The, the Raiders have, in essence, Mo, what is a mini buy, right? Because they played on Thursday on the short week. They now will not play for over a week until they play next uh, Sunday at home against the Washington football team in Las Vegas. But Darren Waller's health, his status was a big deal, although I thought the Raiders adjusted well with their uh, personnel. Foster Moreau came in and did a good job. He had an opportunity to catch a couple balls that didn't go his way. Uh, But at the same time, I think they've shown – that without Darren Waller, as much as you need him on the field as he's your best player, they are able to move the ball with the other personnel they have. Yeah, and I wrote about, I, I put out an article the day of the game yesterday, mm-hmm. and, I, and I basically wrote about three players that I think could spark the offense moving forward, not just for the Cowboys game, but just for the remainder of the season. And I listed Deshaun Jackson. I listed Marcus Mariota. Both of them scored by the way. Mm-hmm. And I listed Foster Moreau. And Foster Moreau's probably going to have to step up if Darren Waller cannot uh, suit up you know, against the Washington football team or miss a couple of games. And he has done that. I believe he has six catches for 60 yards against the Eagles, if I'm not mistaken. But um, he could fill that void. I mean, of course, he's not Darren Waller, but I think he's good enough to you know, get 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 several catches and help the team move the ball. So the Raiders have weapons. And I, and I just... I, it, it baffled me when people said, oh, they, they can't move the ball now. They don't have their, their most dynamic wide receiver. And I'm like, do you see the roster? I, I understand they, they're missing a, a piece of their offense, but Darren Waller, while he was healthy, Hunter Renfro, big game. Um, Brian Edwards, if him and Carr can get on the same page with some consistency, is a weapon. Kenyon Drake and Josh Jacobs catching out of the backfield. I mentioned Foster Moreau. Hell, use Jalen Richard catching out of the backfield if you need to as a wide receiver. He's more of a pass catcher than a, than a runner for the Raiders anyway. The Raiders still have the weapons to move the ball. And, if, and as I say every week on this show, if you believe Derek Carr is a top 10 quarterback, then you believe that he can move the ball with weapons that he has around him and he can at least get the offense going. Yeah, and he certainly did. I mean, you saw Derek Carr. And I, I jokingly, last night as the game ended and – uh, I was in my turkey and 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 my birthday banana cream pie, by the way. I know you're not a pie guy. Uh, that I had for my birthday, Mo. Um, you know, I was sitting there thinking about it and watching online the the, the you know the 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 Republicans and Democrats of Raider Nation. And I say that not literally, <laughs> but I'm talking about the car folks. You have the people who oh, love gosh. Derek Carr and the people who hate Derek Carr. So if Derek Carr has a great game, they're out pounding their chest, CC. And then if he has a bad game like last week against the Cincinnati Bengals, then everybody's saying, see, we told you he can't do it. Now, the truth is always somewhere in between, correct? Uh, we talked about Derek Carr last week and said, look, we, we know what he is after eight years. And he didn't have three good weeks in a row, although he didn't have a terrible week uh, against the New York Giants, as you mentioned several times. Uh, But Derek Carr, I think, was, first of all, he benefited. And I think this is what we've consistently said about the Raiders' starting quarterback was if you give him the right situation, you give him the right protection, meaning that he can sit in the pocket and wheel and deal, he can beat you and he can be a very good quarterback. Guess what, Mo? 
on Thanksgiving Day, the Raiders' offensive line were not a bunch of jive turkeys. They were good. They gave him enough time. Yes, there were some costly penalties, uh, including on Brandon Parker and some others that we've seen uh, raise their head. And Alex Leatherwood a couple times got beat so badly he might make a couple highlight reels for for terrible plays. But other than that, that O-line gave Carr the time he needed, and he took advantage of it. Yeah, he was sacked three times, but as you said, for the most part, he was able to use it. He had a 22-yard run, by the way. I thought that was impressive. Stop the presses. <laughs> stop the presses. <laughs> he had that He had that long dad run that, that uh, most people know about <laughs> when they hit their 50s. But, yeah, I mean, for the most part, the offensive line did an okay job with pass protection. They still, still... The penalties, minus the again, minus the Andre James penalty, which I think was bogus. Uh, Brandon Parker and Alex Leatherwood, that the right side of the Raiders' offensive line is is just a liability between between their pass protection issues and their penalties. Yeah, uh, people keep asking me, are the Raiders going to eventually move DJ Fluker up from the from the practice squad? And I just remind people that he did have a knee injury. He's with the Dolphins for a short period in the, in the past offseason, and he had it. He had bleep knee surgery, so. He may be still working his way back into shape. You know, it's one thing to be healthy enough to play. It's another thing to be in game shape as a football player. So you may have to wait maybe a week or two. Maybe he's okay for the Washington game in December. But the Raiders need to do something. If they want to make a run, they're going to have to do something with the right side of the offensive line. Now, you, you maybe let Alex Leatherwood sink or swim because he is a rookie. But you want to see progress from even your rookie at this point in the season. You don't want to see, you know, silly penalties or inopportunities penalties at inopportune times now, as far as brendan parker he's been around he has no excuse this is his fourth year still <laughs> committing silly penalties I, I think it's time to move on from him i think either dj fluker eventually takes a spot or maybe we see jermaine illuminar again back in because he could play right tackle and right guard so i think eventually the raiders have to think at least consider making a move there yeah there's no question about that I mean and 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 we saw it again you want to give them the opportunity they don't have anywhere else to go right so they, they like you mm-hmm. said the two guys on the practice squad including Fluker uh, when they're ready perhaps they will bring them up I, I think you need to to try to shore up those uh, pre-snap penalties especially yeah. uh, it, it just it just kills this team on drives there's, there's plenty of times when this Raiders team against that Cowboys uh, yesterday on Thanksgiving could have very easily uh, swung the momentum in the other direction, including, I mean, we saw the kickoff return for a touchdown. Obviously, that that really started to do that as well. But there were times when the Raiders were lucky to recover, I believe. Their defense, again, stepped up, played well when they had to to keep them in the ball game. Uh, but this 36-33 to win, Mo, I mean, listen, I, I'm again, the big swings in Raider Nation from this team is awful and might as well uh, be living in the same house as Satan himself. Uh, now everybody's out there saying, look, okay, now we're going to make the playoffs. I don't, I'm not convinced that this team will make the playoffs. You and I have said that they will be, they would be near uh, 500, uh, game over 500, right? At nine and eight, probably, I think is where we both selected them on the season. So they're kind of on track for that. That's probably not going to get you, I'll venture to say, not going to get you in the playoffs this year. uh, And they might be able to sneak one here or there. But Mo, talk about the significance, though, of this win because three in a row is bad enough. And we saw what happened. We saw. Even uh, on Thanksgiving night, a lot of the media members who had not been very critical or asked a lot of questions about this team leading into the three-game stretch, jumping off the bandwagon only to jump right back on the bandwagon uh, after the game in Dallas. But how big of a win is this for this team to just stay and at least try to get better the rest of the season? 
Well, the poster is back in the thick of things. And I think I, I wrote an article a couple of weeks ago saying that the last three games would define the Raiders season, right? And that was the that was the Chiefs, Bengals, and Cowboys game. What they do there is probably going to be a prelude to how the season is going to finish. So, okay, they go one and two, and they get blown out twice, and they get this big win against Dallas yesterday. So now you're in a position where, okay, what do you expect going forward? Are the Raiders, have the Raiders turned the corner again like they did after John Green resigned and had those back-to-back wins against the Broncos and the Eagles? Or it's just just a flash in the pan. The Raiders were fortunate to get a bunch of penalties. I believe Anthony Brown was flagged four times yesterday. Yes. yes. And that's not going to happen every week. So you have to understand, too, that Darren Waller, again, may even if he plays, may not be 100%. So you're wondering what Raiders team is going to show up after their little mini buy when they face the Washington football team at home. By the way, the Raiders haven't played well at home this season. No. Or no. since they've moved to Vegas. So yes. They, they have to fix that too. They didn't play well there last year in an empty stadium, and they haven't played well in front of a full stadium either. Uh, and Mo, and by the way, I just want to, uh, again, a belated happy Thanksgiving to all of you. Thanks for being with us here on Silver and Black tonight on the Mightier 1090. Mo Moten, Scott Branson with you. No guests tonight. We're talking straight through. We're going to talk Raiders football, recap the last two games, and what the Raiders have coming forward. Mo, we talk about the penalties. Some of my good friends on Twitter during the game, including a former <laughs> contributor over at ours and, a, and a personally a very good friend of mine, Hayden Nadolny down from Australia, was arguing with me about the penalties thing. And I said, look, the Raiders, you mentioned it. Not only did they benefit from those PII penalties, but they benefited from some other miscues. And that happens in games. There's nothing wrong with it. But my, my point of view was where would the Raiders' offense had been, especially in that first half if it wasn't for those penalties. Now, you look at the stats, Mo, here's what I'm still concerned with, even though this is a huge win and the Raider faithful should feel thankful and enjoy this win for the next 11 days. But here's the thing. They had just three first downs or third down conversions. They were three of 13 on third down yet again. They had trouble converting third downs, which was not a good thing. And not only that, but four of the PII penalties, all four of them came on third down. So they were they were facing a situation where if they did not get those calls, which is usually, if you want to believe the Restorator Nation and that the NFL is against them, they usually don't get them, Okay. Uh, unless they're so obvious you cannot not call them. Uh, and so so to me, the offense looks so much better because of the protection. And obviously we talked about Renfro's night, we talked about Jackson's night, and we talked about Carr's night. But if you take that out of it, there's still trouble there. There's still trouble in the red zone with this team getting down there and being able to score six points. Yeah, there were some people on Twitter who chirped at me and said it shouldn't even been that close. And I agree with them. The yep. Raiders were two for five in the red zone. Yeah. So they still have they still have red zone issues. And as you mentioned, three for thirteen on third down. They still have third down issues. So they still have trouble converting. But what I will say is it's good to see Deshaun Jackson involved in the offense because he'll yes. eventually offset some of their issues, maybe on third and long. Uh maybe he gets a long touchdown. Uh, just having, I guess, having Foster Moreau more involved. I still like to see him get more catches if he can get more involved. Zay Jones had his best game as a Raider. I believe I tweeted he had five catches for the first time in a Raiders uniform. So if those guys can be more involved and be more consistent, they'll offset some of those issues. But again, the the worry is that once they get in the red zone, how are they going to execute? How, you know, is 
is the run game going to be on? Because as you said, the run game wasn't that great. They did commit to it on Thursday. A lot of people kept tweeting at me, don't run the ball, just throw it, just throw it. And I will push back a little bit and say, you have to keep the defense honest. So you can't just abandon the run game completely because then the off the defense is just going to play on the hills and expect the pass. Clog passing lanes is going to make it difficult for Derek Carr. You have to at least show that you're willing to run the ball. And I don't think I don't think the run game was that bad. I thought, I thought it was decent. Now yes, it got Derek better. Carr's 22, 22 Derek Carr's 22 yard run skewed the numbers a little bit, but they still averaged 3.5 yards per carry, which isn't great. But again, it forced the Dallas Cowboys to at least consider we have to play the run because they're willing to run the ball. Yeah, and, and for being a 7-3 team, you know, the Cowboys now have lost three of four, just like the Raiders. Mm-hmm. Uh their defense, especially defensive backfield, we talked about the penalties on Brown. Uh, they just didn't look that great. The Raiders were able to capitalize it, which is good for them. And I thought that Derek Carr, to your point, he targeted and they got Jackson involved in the game. And that's exactly what he also got. Uh, Brian Edwards involved in the game on some slant patterns over the middle going over 10, 15 yards. And that's what you have to do in this league, especially when you get one-on-one coverage, Mo, you have to shoot down the field because the chances that if, if your guy's not going to get it, then you put the ball in a place where he's going to perhaps draw the PII. And that's exactly what Carr and the Raiders did against the Cowboys. Yeah, absolutely. Carr, you saw it threw it up sometimes and, and you figure like Carr was thinking, Either my guy, Zay Jones, most time it was Jay- Zay Jones or Deshaun Jackson. Either my guy's going to catch it or I'm going to draw a P.I. But I want to just raise one concern that I, that I talked about with you before. We oh, got you're a here. hater. And, <laughs> <laughs> and and it's it's the it's the fact that the Raiders, for the most part, with the exception of maybe Denver, they're going to be at and the Chargers, of course, because they have a rookie head coach. They're going to be at a disadvantage when it comes to coaching because mm-hmm. Rich Passage's use of timeouts oh. yesterday made me pull out the remaining hairs in my beard <laughs> because I, I didn't know what he – at the end of the first half, I felt like the Raiders should have pushed the ball and they just kind of let time drip away and they, and they ran the ball. They got real conservative and I'm thinking, Darren Waller is hurt. This is not a time where you sit there and try to protect your lead. You got to keep your foot on the gas mm-hmm. because you could easily lose this lead fairly quickly because your offense is depleted with pass catchers and the Cowboys are, are going to be in desperate mode in the second half trying to get back into the game. That is not the time you play conservative. That was a huge head scratcher. They left timeouts on the board and they didn't go for it. And I felt like not at least putting three more points on the board could have could have bitten them in the end, but it didn't, fortunately. No, it's a really good point, Mo, and we're coming up here on the first break, and I want to talk more about this, about the coaching staff, about Rich Bisaccia, uh, who's a good man, got no problem with him that. He's a very good coach as well, but is he a head coach? Is he the kind of guy, I see people say, well, if they make the playoffs, he should be the head coach. <laughs> I, I don't think they're going to make the playoffs, number one. Sorry to tell you that. I, I hope I'm wrong, Ouch. but I don't think they're going to make the playoffs. I've, I've said that since the beginning. Nine and eight won't get you in the playoffs. But I want to talk about that. I want to talk about Greg Olson, too, who I thought early in the game was very uneven, seemed to get better towards the end of the game when he realized that, oh, boy, we can shoot down the field and the the pass interference calls are going to come. So we'll talk about that when we come back after the break, about the coaching staff, about what this team means, and a couple other things, too, that I want to mention about Bisaccia's post-game press conference and some things he said last week. So we'll do that when we come back. We'll also talk about the Washington football team coming up next Sunday in Las Vegas, as well as the playoff picture in the AFC. You are listening to Silver and Black tonight here on the Mightier 1090. Don't go anywhere. Mo and I will be back right after the break. Stay with us, Raider Nation. 
We will be right back with Silver and Black tonight on the Mightier 1090 SoCal Sports Talk. Scott and Moe on Silver and Black tonight on the Mightier 1090 AM. All right, welcome back to Silver and Black tonight here on the Mightier 1090. He is Mo Moten. He is a national NFL writer for Bleacher Report. I am Scott Colbranson. We are your hosts here on Southern California's only all Raiders talk show. An all Raiders talk show that we love to do, especially after a Raiders win like we had yesterday on Thanksgiving as the Raiders top the Dallas Cowboys in overtime 36 to 33. And Mo, we were talking before the break about the team. We went through a little bit of, of not only what they did well, but some of the concerns that still are there for this team as they move forward. The offensive line, the red zone performance, the, again, the lack of the ability to get third down conversions. But you mentioned right before the break about the coaching staff and about the AFC West. If you look at the standings right now, the Raiders a little bit now above the the Denver Broncos who have yet to play. They'll play on Sunday. uh, And also the Chargers and the Chiefs will play this weekend as well. And so you look at the division – uh, all those teams have permanent head coaches. The Raiders have an interim head coach in Rich Bisaccia. You talked about the timeouts, the lack of time awareness. Look at the end of the first half. Yes, it was only 40 seconds, but you had timeouts. You could have at least maybe taken a couple shots down the field and gotten into field goal range. The Raiders benefited. Remember, the Cowboys missed a field goal and an extra point. So a lot of things were at play there. So managing the clock, managing timeouts, Managing what you do and what plays you call at what time are very important. How much of a disadvantage for this team is there that they don't have that permanent coaching staff that and, and having that permanent leader since the the uh, the leaving of John Gruden with his re- his resignation due to the, the controversy around the emails? I thought it showed up against the Kansas City Chiefs. You saw it was very clear in that game where they were just clearly out coached. And I didn't think about it going into the game. I'm just thinking about most of the time you break down. The matchups, you just think about the players on the field. You know, who who's the X factor? What matchup are we looking at? Who has to have a big game? But sometimes we forget about the coaching aspect of it. And when you have a guy like Rich Passaccia, who's an interim, who's a former, well, he still deals with the special teams unit. And then you have a guy like, you say, Andy Reid, who's won a Super Bowl mm-hmm. as one of the winningest coaches in history. You're, that's a huge disadvantage there. Now, Mike McCarthy has a ton of experience as a Super Bowl. Didn't work out for the Cowboys because had a bunch of penalties, missed opportunities, as you just said. But when it comes down to management, time management, use of timeouts, and when to press and when not to press, when to go for it, not go for it, those are coaches' decisions. And it's hard to trust the guy who is kind of just thrust into the interim role 
out of the blue and expect him to nail every critical situation. He's going to make mistakes because he's learning on the fly. Just to be fair to Rich Passaccia, he's learning on the fly. Right Now, he has former head coaches on his staff that can help him, Rod Marinelli, uh, Gus Bradley. I mean, those guys can help him with his, some of his decisions, but ultimately he he's going to make the call. And I think he's going to have some situations, especially in close games, where you may get a little nervous because you don't know what he's going to do. And I think that could hurt the Raiders down the stretch if if they're in tight situations. Now, you don't want it to come down to a one play here or there, but we all know the NFL is a game of inches and every play counts, so you're going to have some close games. So that's the one thing that I would worry about with Rich Passaccia, his timeout usage and, and clock management in critical situations. No, I and I agree with you too. And, and I think it opens up a wider conversation. And this is not a negative against Rich Passaccia, who I think and I know from – from what the players talk about, from everybody in the NFL who talk about him, is he's a wonderful coach. He's a wonderful Mm -hmm. confidant. He's a wonderful leader of young men. At the same time, being a head coach is like being the CEO of a company, right? You have Mm -hmm. to make calls and you have to demand a different type of relationship with people and manage people in a different way. And not everybody is built for it or nor do they want it. And I think Rich Bisaccia over the last week, Mo, called out a couple things And they stuck out to me because I knew what he meant. But as a head coach in the NFL where it's a results-based business, it's not college, okay? It's the NFL. It's about wins and losses. Rich Bisaccia earlier in the week talked about you know, anecdotally about how he talks to players and says, hey, listen, this is about going out in the community. It's about going out and, and being a good person and having an impact in your in your life and, and with, with your family and with your teammates. And it's not all about wins and losses. Okay. Gotcha. I understood it to a certain degree, but it kind of perked up my ears. After the game, the big win in Dallas, he said it again. He said, listen, you know, because they asked him about, hey, you know, how much did this win mean for the locker room? And he said, again, he said, listen, I always tell the guys, it's not just about wins and losses. Well, again, I understand the core point of it, but you are the head coach at the podium after a game in the NFL. You can't continue to send that message that it's not about wins and losses because it is. And so it is is about wins and losses, Mo. And I think that in that situation, it goes to show you, you have coaching. And I've been on coaching staff, coaching kids, where we had a head coach. And I was the guy who, when the head coach would yell at a kid or and I say yell at a kid but you know would have a frank discussion with a kid and I'd be the guy who would be kind of the the good cop bad cop right you're the good cop hey listen hey man you know he's he just wants you to do well it's not always about wins and losses but it's about getting better you know you can be that guy as an assistant coach but when you're the head coach going to the podium and saying it's not about wins and losses is after a game I just think that it, it shows a little bit of the psyche there and and God bless him he's a good good man and a good coach But that, to me, you have to be careful, and it shows that I think after the season, no matter what happens, and maybe he's part of the future, I don't know, I think you have to go get a head coach. Yeah, and a lot of people have said, even despite the win, and this is not us saying this, a lot of Raider fans have said this to me, and they were like, well, we won the game, and I'm happy they won the game, but they need to find a real head coach. Yeah, Yeah. And and that was mostly because of, you know, what he did during the game. But to your point, it's a mentality you have to have. And I think the one thing that I can say they probably do miss with John Gruden is John Gruden was willing to be the a-hole when he got to the podium. He didn't talk about, yeah, making guys better. It's not about wins and losses. He was like, no, it's a bottom line business. You win, you're going going to be praised. You lose, you're going to get criticized. And my 
behind is on the line because I have to win football games now. <laughs> he had a 10-year contract, so he was in less of a hot seat. But a guy like Rich Passaccia, who may be in contention for the head coaching job, it is about wins and losses for him because if the Raiders don't make the playoffs, if they fall short, if they go under 500, he is not getting the head coaching job. That is to say if he assuming he wants it. But for him it, and for that team, it is about wins and losses. And I made this point to you off air is that a fan base that's watched a team go to the playoffs once in 19 years doesn't want to hear about it's not about wins and losses because for them, they are starving for a playoff run. And as you said, I understood what he meant. He's trying to develop these young men to great people and have them go out to communities and, and help people out. And I understand all that. And that's part of being on the platform, the NFL platform, as these players have. But at the end of the day, you are judged by the result of the end of these football games. And sending that message, you would hope it doesn't permeate too much into the locker room where players go, well, Rich Bisaccia is like, you know, it's not all about wins and losses. We lost, but you know, it's not all about wins and losses. <laughs> and you don't you don't want that. You don't no, want that mentality no. because I think I think that's what's hurt the Raiders the last two years when they fell apart in the second half of the season is that Derek Carr even said this. He was like, There are times where, you know, guys weren't all the way dialed in. Alec Engel alluded to it last year. Guys aren't all the way tuned in when they got blown out by the Falcons. And again, you just don't want a mentality that, oh, it's okay to lose. We'll just get back at it next week. You know? Yeah. Well, you don't remember, want that. You Remember the, the infamous Nelson Aguilar uh, incident in the locker room after the Dolphins last uh, lost last yeah. year where he said, well, you guys are in here laughing and partying, and we just got our, yep. our ass kicked. What, what are you doing? <laughs> and so I think that touches on exactly what you just said. Yeah, and the other thing, now that you mentioned that, it makes me remember what Carr said at the end of the at the in the post game press of the Bengals loss, he remember he talked about, you know, I, I'm going to get into studying on the Cowboys. I'm not going to be out on the strip or having late night dinners. And there was a cut up video with Denzel Perryman saying, "Well, I'm hungry. I'm waiting for this food to come through." And it was kind of funny that they pieced those two interviews, those two pressers together. But basically, Carr saying, you know. We can lose and then you, you can mope on it or harp on it, but we got to get back. We got to get back in the lab. We got to work. And he also said that as far as the penalties, because he was asked about the pre-snap penalties, he was asked about the penalties in the red zone. And he said, being disciplined in life, there's a connection there between being disciplined in your life and being disciplined on the football field. If you're not disciplined in your life, then you're not going to be disciplined in the biggest moments on the football field. And I thought that was telling because it was kind of him passive aggressively saying, these guys have to tune in off the field so that they when, when they get on the field, they're also tuned in. That's not to say that Alex Leatherwood and Brandon Parker and those guys are partying it up all night. I'm not saying that. But Carf, I felt like Carr was sending a message there saying, look, you have to, you can't just lock in on those 60 minutes on game day. You have to lock in leading up to game day so that you're dialed in once you get on the football field. Yeah, I agree with you 100%. And I, and I do think it was Carr's way of calling out guys last week because mm -hmm. a lot of people said, oh, he seems irritated. There's something going on with Carr. Yeah. Yep. And, and he, he did. Now, some quarterbacks, you know, if that's Aaron Rodgers or somebody, they would be a little more overt about it, right? Uh, Derek Carr, right. that's not his style. Whether you like that or not, that's up to you. I really don't care, but that's just the way he is. So, <laughs> so the, he did call them out. And I think that, that, 
that perhaps that had something to do with how they played better, maybe. Uh, so, so you can see sometimes how Derek Carr's impact on the game isn't just when you look at his performance and what he did on the football field going 24-39 for 373 and a touchdown, right? So, so that all comes up, and that focus, we've seen it under John Gruden, who's now gone, but his staff is still there. We saw it heavily on defense last year with Paul Gunther. He was gone, and you've seen that improve under Alec, or excuse me, under uh, Gus Bradley this year. So, so I, I agree 100% with you, Mo. I, I mean, I look at the stats of this game, just to kind of close it out, too, on that, is you look at the inability again on third down, red zone. The, the Raiders held the ball for 39 minutes compared to Dallas's 26, and they had to go to overtime to win by a field goal. Um, the red zone offense, we saw Marcus Mariota used twice. One time he scored a touchdown. The first time he was used, I thought it was a really poor play call, and it was obvious mm-hmm. to everybody, and the defense was stacked, and there was no way he was going to get in. Uh, but I'm glad they used him. I still think they used him too little, don't you? Uh, you know what? I I'll take them running him twice over not running him at all because we <laughs> okay. didn't see him at gotcha. all in the past games. So I'm just like, you know what? I'll accept baby steps because what I didn't want, what I hope didn't happen was that he got stuffed on that first play and then you wouldn't ever see him again. Yeah. Cause a lot of people on Twitter after Mariota got stuffed, they're like, see, this is why you don't put him in on third down because everyone <laughs> could see it coming. It's too predictable, blah, 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 blah. And they put him in again and he scores and then they got quiet. And I say, look, you give a guy one play, anything could happen. You can't, you can't just base your your opinion off of just one play. You gotta let it, let it bake. You know, try it again, see what happens. And I guess it's gonna be predictable because if he's in under center, you know he's not gonna throw the ball to Derek Carr who split out wide at wide receiver. You know that's not gonna happen, right? <laughs> you know he's probably gonna run the ball, but there is a threat that he can't pass it, and I think that. That helps the Raiders in the red zone situations, and that's why I believe that he should be more involved, as you said. I think he should get a few carries per game, even in just not not just in the red zone, but just short yardage situations, period. Put him in the game, give him a little bit of a rhythm, and actually let him throw the ball so it is not so predictable on offense when he gets in the game. Mo Moten, Scott Branson with here on Southern California's only All Raiders talk show. That, of course, silver and black tonight here on the Mighty 1090. We're talking about, of course, the state of the Raiders after their big win yesterday on Thanksgiving in Dallas, 36-33 to in overtime over the Cowboys. And, Mo, if we look at the AFC now, we look at the AFC West, let's start there. I'm going to make a declaration right now, okay? And I know it'll be a little bit dangerous because the Chiefs have won four in a row and they're playing in Denver this Sunday uh, and probably will win that game. Who knows? Uh, But I I don't see any team in the AFC West being a team that's going to go deep in the playoffs. Even if the Raiders do well and somehow get into the playoffs, you look at the Chiefs, the Chiefs, to me, they will wrap up the AFC West here in the next in the next two weeks because they play if if they win both both of those games of course they play Denver on Sunday and then the following Sunday um, they will be uh, they'll have a bye and then they they face the Chiefs um, excuse me the the, the Raiders <laughs> the Chiefs they're facing themselves no um, so so if you look at what the Raiders are are up against you have uh, the Broncos playing the Chiefs. Next Sunday, they're on the bye this week, I should say. And then they play the Raiders right after that. So if they win those two games, they're going to win the AFC West unless somehow the Chargers do something uh, to carry on. But I look at that division, and I look at the, the rest of the AFC, and then I look at the Raiders' schedule, Mo, and I see Washington followed by Kansas City. 
uh, followed by a game at Cleveland in the cold. So you're going to have two games in the cold at Kansas City and at Cleveland. So really, if the if the Raiders are going to be a team that does make a playoff run, to me, they got to win at least two of the next three, if not all three. Yeah, it's still going to be tough in a division because it's so clumped together. I, I believe every team in the division is either 500 or better right now. Right. So, it, I mean, I know people are going to laugh at Denver and go, Denver's not doing anything. But you you just never know. Mm-hmm. I, I'm just going to say you just never know. But just focusing, I think it's going to come down to the Chiefs and the Chargers. And uh, if the Raiders can get an upset somewhere here or there, maybe they're in the mix. But I agree with you. I'm not too much sold on any of the AFC West teams because the Chiefs, even though they've been winning lately, Patrick Mahomes is still not right. I believe he's yep. he's thrown for multiple touchdowns in one in one game of the last four weeks. Uh, the Chargers are kind of up and down. I know they've had some thrilling wins, but their defense is not is not as good as people thought it would be. They got Brandon Staley, who had the number one defense last year with the Rams, but as, as we know, their run defense is terrible, and they'll give up a lot of points. We saw that with the Steelers, and we saw that with the Browns earlier in the year. Uh, the Raiders, as we just talked about during the show, have their own issues. They're, they have an interim head coach. Is Darren Waller going to be okay? You know, how good is that run defense going to be down the stretch? I know it was good against the Cowboys, but they're going to be tested again when they face the Browns and when they face the Colts, even Denver, because Javante Williams and Melvin Gordon are actually playing much better now. So their run defense is going to continue to be de- tested down the stretch. So I'm not too sold on any of the AOS, FC West teams. Now they can now post Thanksgiving teams can go on a run. So I would look out for that from any of these three teams. I'm just excited to see how it shakes out because there's going to be some separation. It's going to be some crucial matchups and a lot's going to have playoff implications. No, I agree hundred percent. And I mean, I just look at the schedule and I mean, the, 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 the easiest game I think they have, although I wouldn't, I mean, it's never easy in the NFL. Let's face it is, is, is next Sunday against Washington. Mm-hmm. I mean, you, you look at that team and how they've struggled, but they put it together sometimes and play really, really well. The same with Cleveland, Cleveland, if healthy and Baker Mayfield playing well, they can beat anybody. So, so you look at those games, including the three still left in the division against the Broncos, the chiefs and the chargers, uh, the Raiders, you know, they're going to have to really pick it up. I mean, they, they did a good job against Dallas. There's no question. Bouncing back from losing three in a row, they deserve all the credit in the world to do that. Still lots to fix, still lots to work on. They have an extended week this week, Mo. But um, uh, as you look down the line at this Raiders team, I mean, would it be safe to say, with the exception of a few guys, that pretty much everybody on this roster, not knowing what the coaching situation is, not knowing what the GM situation is, uh, that everybody's playing for a job. Yeah, pretty much, you know, unless you're maybe Darren Waller. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're, you're, even Carr is in question. I know a lot of people are going to jump down my throat saying that because of the performance he put up on, on Thursday, but it's not over. You still have a lot of season left. You still have, what, six games left? So yep, if, if Carr then slips back into a stupor again and he doesn't look good down a stretch, people are going to be calling for his head again. Remember, it's a week-to-week league. Yep. You win a game, you're the greatest, you're on top of the mountain. You lose a game, you're the worst, cut him, get him out of here. You know, that's yeah. <laughs> that, that's how it goes. So, as I said, going back to Basaccia's point, it's not, it's not about wins and losses. For a lot of these players, it does, because if this team doesn't, again, if this team doesn't win, if they don't go to the playoffs, if they finish under 500, someone new might be in that GMC. It might not be Mike Mayock. 
Yeah. And that person may have had a totally different vision for this football team, and a lot of guys could be out of the door. Now, I think uh, now to correct myself, other than Darwa, I think you you got to keep Max Crosby, Yannick Ngakwe, right? Yes, yes, no doubt. You don't want you know you don't want to mess up the pass rush. Now, if you can, I think Nate Hobbs is another cornerstone there. He's playing the slot. You know, I think he's 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 pretty much safe. Of Casey Hayward is going to come back. I would I would bring him back, even though he didn't have his greatest game against Michael Gallup on the boundary. But for the most part, he's been pretty solid on the outside. If he wants to come back, I'm bringing him back. But other than that, those handful of guys, everyone else is pretty much up in the air. Yeah, and Mo, on our Sunday show, we do a Sunday show in Las Vegas, which you can catch uh, on the fan in Las Vegas. You can just look on our, our, our webpage, Silver and Black, tonight and get it there or find it on your favorite podcast feed. Uh, we're going to talk more about the Derek Carr future on Sunday, uh, but most certainly, yes, everybody's playing for their job. I think the only under, uh, untouchable one is Darren Waller and the young defenders you talked about. Um, but I even saw people saying this week that they needed to tear down the whole team, including trading Darren Waller, which is just insanity. No. Just insanity. No. It's like, settle down. Wait, See? <laughs> really quick, this yeah. is what I don't understand, right? You have you have a team that is, is a playoff caliber team. Let's say, you know, all the, all the stuff off the field didn't happen. I really believe this rated team could have won double-digit, you know, win, had double-digit wins. Now, we don't know that for sure, but to my point is, this is not a team that you tear down and say, oh, it's no good. Tear it down, right. even if the Raiders don't make the playoffs. I think you keep coming with some of those key pieces because that will expedite your rebuild. And I should I should call it a reload. reload. That if you there keep you some of your cornerstone players and you just add in from the draft and free agency, you can get back into it and compete right away. You don't have to go through this this year where in two, like compared to 2018 where you're just tearing down a roster and you have a bunch of old guys running around who are not going to be with the yes. team in the near future. You can keep some of your core guys and just add on to that. Especially those that you have hit on the draft since they've done that so infrequently right. recently. Well said. Way to end the show, Mo. I agree. For Mo Moten, I am Scalkle Branson. This has been Silver and Black tonight, only here on the Mightier 1090. Have a great long week, Raider Nation, and we'll talk to you on Friday. Thank you for joining us. Please catch Silver and Black tonight, every Friday at 6 p.m. on the Mightier 1090 AM. SoCal Sports Talk.